Well, this is fun. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the NFL Roadshow Extreme NFL Makeover Edition. A lot of moves so far in the early going of free agency, as is always the case, right? The first day of the negotiating period is always the biggest one in terms of movement, though none of the moves can be made official until Wednesday when the league year officially opens. There are a few themes that have emerged so far. The Bucks getting the band back together. Apparently, Bruce Arians and Jason Light were not joking when they said they were going to bring everybody back and make another run next year. Shaq Barrett, Levante David, Gronk, all re-signing with Tampa after they franchise-tagged Chris Godwin last week. And the cherry on top, those four guys only going to count for $40 million combined against the cap. So that's a win for Tampa, where I'm sure Tom Brady is popping bottles on some avocado tequila tonight. Also, massive on day one, how about those Patriots? Not playing around this year. I am here for this. Super aggressive, right out of the gate. Jonu Smith. Matthew Judon, uh, Devon Godchow, Jalen Mills, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, all locked up in the first few hours of negotiating. We'll have Albert Breer on in just a sec with his thoughts on that. He used to cover the Patriots as a beat reporter before he went national, so he's locked in on what's going on there. Also, uh, that Kansas City O-line. We talked last week about the moves they made there to clear up cap space, cutting Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher. Well, they went out and got longtime Patriots guard Joe Tooney to shore things up up front. And they gave him a really big deal also. Five years, $80 million. And he wasn't the only offensive lineman that got paid. Corey Lindsley, now the highest paid center in the league, thanks to the Chargers. As for the moves that were made right before free agency, we saw a handful of guys re-sign with the teams that they were with. Matt Milano in Buffalo, Aaron Jones in Green Bay, Romeo Okwara in Detroit. I wonder how much those kinds of moves might have had to do with the lower cap. Maybe less money in free agency this year. And I'll ask Albert Breer what he's hearing about that. Though in the case of Milano and Jones, it's also possible they just saw their current teams as the best overall situation for them. Uh, Good teams. They know the fit. They know how they'll be used. All of that. Another huge story, obviously, though not free agency related, though I suppose in some ways it is in the ways it will affect the Saints' plan moving forward, Drew Brees announcing his retirement on Sunday. We knew it was coming, or at least we thought we knew it was coming. But now that it's here, I think that team's offseason is fascinating. What will they do at quarterback without any money with which to work? They are, as I sit here and record this, still in the red from a cap standpoint. They've already shed salaries. They've reworked other contracts. They've got holes to account for. More holes have been created in the last couple of weeks. And I've got Catherine Terrell who covers the team for The Athletic, ready to weigh in on the lay of the land there. She'll join us in just a bit. But we're going to start with Mr. Breer, taking a break from the news-breaking madness to weigh in on what we've seen so far. So let's go ahead and break the huddle. How many phones do you work in these days, Bert, today? Like, Like, I just wouldn't be able to organize anything in my head if I had more than one phone going. So I just have the one. All right. Well, if you need to take a call or tweet out any breaking news or anything like that, you just say the word. I will tap dance, sing some Frozen All songs. All good. Yeah, I should be uh, fine. Whatever, whatever is necessary. Um, how much do you love this, though? Um, you know, it's definitely I the the stuff I like to do, like as far as like that connects to this is 
it's like knowing ahead of time what's going to happen, you know? And like, so like my Monday column, like having stuff right in there and being able to sort of see stuff happen before it happens and being prepared for all of this, like that to me is kind of the most interesting part of it. Now there's the rush of when things actually do happen and, you know, a text comes into your phone and boom, you want, you know, you tweet it out and everything else and the endorphin rush of that or whatever. But you know, I like the part that I like actually enjoy doing is digging around in January and February and trying to figure out exactly the way all this is going to go. Um, and it's similar to the draft for me. I, like, I really love the build up to the draft because you feel like, I, like, I personally feel like, you know, in a lot of cases, and you've been there, Lindsay, like, a lot of times, like, the people you cover, you're like, take, take, take. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, can you give me this? Can you give me that? And in some of these situations, you actually feel like, you know, if you're good at your job, you can give back a little bit. Like I can trade information back to them. And so that's like kind of as I've gotten older and I, I hope I hope a little better at doing this. Um, you know, it's just you sort of, you know, sort of feel yourself become a part of that process a little bit more. It's kind of fun because it kind of, you know, with 32 different teams all kind of having their own agenda and everything else. It's like this giant puzzle you're putting together every year. Yeah, it's my favorite time of year like i like i um I, that sounds weird to say like obviously yeah. we like the season i i but i'm I, with you i love it's it's just it feels like for, yeah. for people like us right like if you're a former football player or something like that and your contribution mm -hmm. is to watch the game and then weigh in in that way but like for for people like us we're you know contributing information or yeah, I you, feel like that's the value is like trying, trying to figure out what the puzzle looks like and then try and put it all together and communicate it. I think it's fun. I also I also feel like it's like sort of our generation. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I I grew up like and I still remember like when I was a kid um, way before I did any of this for work, like sitting on those Saturdays in April and watching the draft. And back then it was like I think the first three rounds were on Saturday and it started at noon and. Um, you know, the idea of putting a team together and the idea of like how one thing fits into another. And like, I, I just feel like, like, I don't know, like our, like my people, my age um, and my friends, like, it's not just people in the business. Like, I feel like my friends like really like love this part of it too. And it's almost like maybe that's generation. Maybe it's, you know the, what I mean? Like our fantasy football general manager experience. I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Like part of it is like so many people have that like experience, like where they're like, you know, you're doing it with your own fantasy team. So it's like, it starts to fascinate you. And like, say, like, Oh, well, how do people who like, like are doing this for a living, how do they do it? You know? So, but I've always found that part of it, like so interesting, like how you put together a team, what works, what doesn't, you know, certain things that seem like, like obvious, like this should work, don't work. And then other times you look at some things that teams are doing and it's like, what the hell are they doing? And then all of a sudden that does work, you know? So um, I'm just like fascinated by the way these things come together and, you know, free agency and trades are like, I historically uh, not as effective a way of building as the draft, but um, you know, I think we've seen more recently teams are getting more effective at using these sorts of, you know, methods that this path to building a team. So I've always been super fascinated by that stuff. And again, like I, like I, I'm listening to you talk, it's the same thing, right? Like, I think it's, maybe it's like a, a little bit of a generational thing where I guess maybe we grew up not just loving the games, but also loving the other parts of the game that aren't on the field. So what did you call? 
that's happened so far? What did you see coming? And then we'll get to what yeah. you did not see coming. <laughs> sure. Okay. So I would say what I saw coming, um, I thought the pass rushers would get paid. And the reason why you can actually connect a lot of this to the draft. Okay. So like, here's the thing, the draft class, um, you look at defensive tackle. It's not very good. And then you look at defensive end and there's some freak athletes in the draft, but a lot of them are considered like quote unquote raw and need development, right? Like, so it's like quitty pay for Michigan and um, the two kids from Miami, Jalen Phillips and Greg mm -hmm. Rousseau. And, um, you know, there are all these guys that are just great athletes, but they might not be able to contribute right away. So if you're one of these teams that needs one right now, well, then you can't really rely on the draft this year because either you're taking defensive tackles who that position isn't very strong or you're taking defensive ends who need development. So I figured, okay, like those guys are going to get paid. Boom. Matthew Juden gets, Judon gets paid. Yannick Ngakwe gets paid. Shaq Barrett gets paid. That happens. And I think I also was pretty decent at getting what positions would have more trouble um, right too, in that like I, I, I thought receiver, receiver and running back would be tough because I think those two positions are good in the draft. And so and 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 everything's gonna be a little tighter this year. But you know, I, I think if you if you feel like in a year where the ta where the cap's coming down and things are gonna be tight, like like okay, like where can I get cheaper talent? Well, you get cheaper talent in the draft. Can I fill this hole in the draft? And I think when teams looked at receiver and running back, whether, you know, in the draft, again, it's like guys like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddell or um, Jamar Chase or at running back, Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, there were going to be options there for them in the draft. And so, like, let's say, for example, you have both needs, right? Like, let's say, for example, like we need to be, we need a receiver, we need a running back, and we need a defensive end. And we only can pay one, but we want guys who can contribute right away. Well, if you're that team, it's like, okay, like, so where do we spend? Well, we can find a running back in the draft. We can find a receiver in the draft, mm -hmm. but defensive end might be a little more tough. So we're going to go get our defensive end there. You know what I'm saying? So that part of it's interesting too, yeah. right? Like the way that those things tie in. So that was one thing that I felt like I kind of, I had a little bit ahead of time. The And yet the wide receivers uh, that are coming off the board early yeah. are making some money. How about Nelson <laughs> yeah. Aguilar? And this gets us to the it. Patriots conversation because the yeah. Patriots are just like throwing money I know, at people. I, I mean, know. this is just a, it's, it's, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's a it, very un Bill Belichick, uh, like off season so it, far, but, but of course it's a, it's an un Bill Belichick like set of circumstances surrounding the Patriots. We haven't seen them coming off a season with a losing record since 2000. It, yeah. So of I, course things are different, but, I, but, to the point of Nelson Aguilar, two years, $26 million, $13 million a year for Nelson Aguilar. Too Holy much. heck. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to have to see the details on that because I sort of like, I'm a little skeptical of how real that money is. Right. Yeah, is like the entire second year voidable? What's I mean, on? I don't know. Like, that's the thing is, is it like a, like four year, four million in the first year and then like totally. 22 in the second year and they can mm -hmm. cut him after the season. But um, he can say he made 13 a year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, like they did, they did surprise me how the Patriots spent. But if you look at it, like I think it's, I think it's indicative of a couple of things. Like number one, I think it's they didn't draft very well three and four years ago. And generally, when you have a lot of cap space like that, it's because you don't have your like guys on your own roster to pay. And so if you look at like how they drafted in 2016, 2017, 2018, there aren't a lot of guys there that they would want to give big contracts to. So if you have that void, that money's got to go somewhere. And so, you know, for the first time in a while, they just didn't have guys on their own roster. They 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 felt like were worthy of paying. 
So what do you do then? You use those resources somewhere else. And then the second thing, and I, I think this was this this part of it's fascinating, right? That advantage they had forever with Brady, that mm-hmm. like they would get people who would just come in and try to gravy train rings, right? Like yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. And in fact, that well, it does exist. It's relocated. It's relocated to Florida now. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And so, like now, the Bucks are playing with that advantage, and the Patriots forever could get guys to come in, whether it was you know. Like sometimes it could be the big second contract free agent, but more often might be the guy at the end of his career might be the guy who like the market didn't exactly bear what he thought it would, would bear. And like, you know, you get guys like that to come in on like one year deals or short term deals. And those guys that come in and fill, fill roles. And that's why they were never active on day one also, because they're just like, wait, let's see who's left over. Yeah. And, 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 and that allowed them to rehab, there's st- like the players, like I can rehab my stock, right? Because chances are I'm going to succeed here, like so many other guys have, and I'm going to have a chance to go try to win a championship. Mm-hmm. And now that they don't have that advantage anymore, you know what? They're just like everybody else, right? Like, and they're now not they like, and, and 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 here's the other: they're not in like Los Angeles or Miami or Dallas. So that's the other part. And I, as much as I love Belichick. it, yeah, no. Right? And I like know, I know and, and you know what, that can turn around quickly. Right. Lindsay, like, so like yeah. in a year that could turn around in a year, like they go 13 and three again, next, next year. Now all of a sudden, like, okay, like it's cool to play for bill again. You know what I mean? Like, but, yeah. but right now, if you're one of these guys, I'm sure how it looks to some of these guys is like, well, wait a second. Was that just all Brady? You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure if you're a free agent, you're probably, you know, you have, that thought process. And I, and I, and I do think not like, sure at the very least, and right. who's going to be their quarterback. Right. And you don't know. There's and still so, big question marks. It's not even like they went and they fixed that. And now no. you know what you're walking into. You really don't. I mean, no. Cam on that placeholder. Yeah. I mean, well, it feels yeah, like placeholder. I mean, financially, they're not even paying him like a starter. Mm-hmm. No, like he's I'm, getting like, okay, backup money. So do you think that they'll still go make a move there? What's yeah? What, what do you think the plan is? So I I think it's a little bit like I think that you can kind of compare it to like Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina, Nick Foles in Chicago, Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen in Washington. Where in those situations, like I feel like those teams, it's like we have a placeholder and we're okay going forward with these guys, but we're going to keep looking and it like, I think like the, 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 the benefit of having cam for the Patriots is a, like you said, they can tell free agents, like we have him here. Like, so we have a viable, like we believe that he's gonna be better than he was last year. And he's been viable in the past. So you can at least sell that. And it just buys you time. You know, like I think the worst position to be in is like having like a crying need and everyone knows you've got the crying need. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how like, that to me is how like Nick Foles wound up getting like whatever it was, 23 million a year from the Jaguars a couple of years ago because the, the Jaguars had nowhere else to turn. It's how like Christian Ponder winds up going 12th overall. It's how EJ Manuel winds up going 16th overall, where a team's just like kind of got their back against the wall and it's mm-hmm. like like we need one and come hell or high water, we are going to we're gonna spend resources on it. And that guy's not there. If you have like a Cam or a Foles or a Bridgewater, you may not be like you know, over the moon about that situation. But at the very least, it buys you time so you don't have to overreach and you can pick your spot. And maybe you can wait for a Wilson or a Watson to become available or, you know, 
it allows you to kind of at least be dealing from a position for position of strength when it comes to whatever you're going to do in the first round of the draft. So with regard to the people that the Patriots did bring in on mm-hmm. day one, Jonu Smith, as you pointed out, is now the highest paid <laughs> skill player in franchise history. Yep. And Matthew Judon is the highest paid defensive player in franchise history. <laughs> they're they're just like, whatever, we have money, spend it all. Yeah. Johnny is an interesting one for me, though, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's like the yak king uh, yep. amongst tight ends. He's fast. He's big. He's versatile. Like, I, I can see him being a perfect guy for a Bill Belichick offense. And it feels like that was something that mm-hmm. they really missed this year. I think both those guys, like, you can, you can kind of categorize Johnny Smith and Matthew Jude on the same way in that. There and, and let's like I double back with some people in Baltimore about uh, about Judon and double back with some people in Tennessee about Smith and you know really I think the best way to describe both guys is like they're good at everything but great at nothing you know mm-hmm. and and I don't mean that in an insulting way but it's like versatile smart can do everything you ask them to do and you would rather them not be the best player in their like like whether it's you'd rather not Judon be the centerpiece of your front seven. You'd rather not, you know, John Smith be the centerpiece of your skill position group. And remember in Tennessee, he's playing with AJ Brown and Corey Davis and Matthew Judon, like the amount of great defensive players they've had go through that Baltimore system. So what you'd like to have is foundational pieces around them and then you can move them around. And that's what Bill's really good at. Like Bill and Josh and all yes. the guys there are really good at getting the most out of versatile players like that. It's just you don't want the guy to be like your your 1A player. Like you want the guy to be in a position where you can move them around and do different things with them. And if they can do that, like if they can build enough around those guys where they're able to do that with a Judon or with a Johnny Smith, you know, then I think that they could wind up being really, really good signings. Yeah, good at everything, not great at anything. Where you want to go is to New England yeah. to be in a Bill Belichick, yep. right? Where, where you know he's going to maximize it's and the model. You just do do <laughs> yeah. your job. Yeah, <laughs> if you do your job well, then it'll all be fine. How does Jalen Mills fit in there? Because it feels like, you know, they've got some they've yeah. got some DBs. That yeah. was an interesting signing. Yeah, a little bit more of like a I'd say like a little bit more of like like kind of like a corner safety combo matchup guy. And they've got, they've had a bunch of those in the past, you know, like I think, you know, Patrick Chung, who like went to Philly, came back from Philly was another one of these guys who, um, you know, was sort of a specialist and they build their secondary. It's almost like, like I, and I know this um, analogy. I know I'm not the first to use this analogy, but like a basketball team where, you need to have somebody to match up with the other team's five and you need to have somebody to match up with the other team's four and you need to like right on down the line. Right. And so no matter what it is, you, you need to have somebody you can throw at certain guys. And so I think Jalen Mills is sort of a combo safety corner type, which is what he evolved into because he wasn't quite like a, you know, I don't think he was a starting corner. Like he, he showed in Philly, not really a starting corner. Um, uh, he, he's a guy who maybe can match up with like move tight ends for you and maybe can match up with some slot receivers for you. And so to me, like I think Jalen Mills and even like um, Devin Gachow, the, uh, the, the nose tackle they brought in, those guys are more like very much specialists, you know, like where I said, like John and yeah. and Judon are guys you can move around and do a lot with. Like, I think, you know, Jalen Mills and, and De- Devin, I'm not going to butcher his name. Gachow. Um <laughs> 
both those great. guys, both, both, both those guys, I think were brought in for more specific reasons. Uh, Patriots did miss out on an offensive lineman mm-hmm. that they wanted. Tried to bring back Joe Tooney. He ended yep. up going to the Chiefs. What does that mean for the Chiefs' offensive line? Because so obviously that's a good get. Yeah. But they also lost their two tackles, tackles. Yep. in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, my big question mark was like, yes, this solidifies them up front, but they have a need at tackle. So Right. So I think a part of the equation and what they did last week was I mentioned the draft, right? This is a really good draft for offensive linemen, and you're going to be able to get good players into the second round. And so I wouldn't be surprised if this is just the first piece of, all right, we're going to add multiple players to the mix here. Um, I, I think really at the root of what they did with their tackles more than anything else was those guys were taking up, I think it was about $23 million in cap space. And both those guys are in their thirties, both Mitch and, and, and Eric are in their thirties. Both of them are coming. Both of them are dealing with very problematic injuries for big men an Achilles for, for Fisher and a back for Schwartz. And I think if you're not sure those guys, like think about this, Lindsay, like those are very important positions. Do you want to be relying on two guys coming back from those sorts of injuries and you don't even know if they're going to be ready for camp. Like, Especially so you, when you're strapped for cash. Right. You could be very, you very quickly could be like in an SOL situation there. If Mitch Schwartz is back, doesn't respond. If right. the coming back for the Achilles is more problematic than you think, then you're really screwed. And both those guys were going in the contract years. So I, I think a big piece of that was like for them, look, we're in a position to compete for a championship is this the right use of our resources? And they decided it wasn't. Now, I don't think they've ruled out bringing either back. I think Mitch Schwartz is going to decide whether or not he's going to retire. Eric Fisher, I think, you know, if the price is right, maybe he could be back. Um, you know, but, you know, I think the the idea was we need to find new sort of foundation pieces on the offensive line. And so they were able to go from over 20 million over the cap to over 20 million under the cap through the restructures and the cuts. And, like, look at the if you look up Joe Tooney's numbers, it's incredible. Think about this, Lindsay 80 games played as a pro, right? It's five years, 80 games started. His first three years in the league, the Patriots went to the Super Bowl all three years, didn't miss one snap. Okay. So if you want to look at the reason why they didn't feel comfortable going forward with Fisher and Schwartz, the reason they did feel comfortable going and bringing in Tooney is right there. It's all the same, right? Like yeah. we know like, like to a reasonable degree, football injury, you know, whatever, right. everybody gets hurt, but to a, re- to a reasonable degree, like we can count on Joe Tooney being there where they couldn't count on the other guys being there. And so I think Joe Tooney is just the first piece of what's going to be a rebuild of the offensive line. And it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you see them take maybe two offensive linemen in the first three rounds or so of the draft. I saw a handful of guys re-sign with their old teams right before mm-hmm. the start of free agency. Do you think that there's anything to read into that that's related to the lower salary cap and the market not being what they expected it to be? Or yep. yeah. Not that they were negotiating no. with anyone before no, the start a, of the negotiating window because no one does that. But No, it's it's a really smart point by you. Like I think it really um, – you know, like I, I think a lot of agents uh, you know, had to – be honest with their clients, you know, and like had to manage expectations over the last couple of months. And um, I think everybody knew what was coming. Um, and what was so interesting to me, so I had a, um, 
I had a, I, I had a team's cap uh, chief kind of like take me through. I said, can you run these numbers for me and like tell me how many cuts there were over the last two weeks versus restructures or pay cuts? And everybody was expecting this like massive bloodbath, right? Like there were going to be hundreds yeah. of pl- players who wound up being street free agents. Between March 1st and March 14th, only 42 players across the entire league were cut. And mm. yeah, and there were 32 pay cuts or restructures. And that was before all of them were even processed. There were a bunch more in the queue. So I, I think what happened was a lot of players sort of looked at it and said, well, I can take $2 million less here where I am. I get peace of mind. I don't need to worry about going out there in the market in, in two we- in, in, in a week or two. So I might as well do that. And I think the same mindset happened with some of the guys who were set to be free agents. It's like, I'm comfortable here. Yeah, They're offering me a good deal. If I get out there and then my team goes and spends somewhere else, maybe this money isn't for me, isn't here for me. And then, man, I could really be up a creek because, you know, these they're like, I, I don't know what other teams are going to do. Yeah. And so I think that there was just a little bit more. It's like, I, I, I'm going to screw up the, what, what's the, what's the saying? Uh, bird in the hands better than two in the bush or whatever. I, I think there was a lot of, I think that's it. <laughs> um, we'll but, check in with Jerry Jones and get back to yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I don't, I'm not even close to the level of, you know, <laughs> like, I don't, I circumcising like, cow, flies. Yeah. Cows and moons and <laughs> the winds in Arkansas and all of that. Yeah, I, I can't, I can't, I, I'm not even close to Jerry's level. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that was a sort of like the general thing was like if I have something, there's value. Yeah. Like I, I think the best way to put it, like there's great value in certainty this year. Like I totally. know I've got, I know I've got this. And football players, it's different than other sports. Like football players, their window to earn is so small. And it's like, I can totally understand if you're one of these guys where it's like, like the idea of like, like say you're a guy who's going in a second contract going and, you know, this is my big score. My second contract's coming. And, um, you know, I like, like, I know this is my big chance to, 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 to make a lot of money. And, you know, I, there's this uncertainty and my team offers me what I think is a really good deal. That's going to set me up for the rest of my life. And I'm like looking at the prospect of that maybe evaporating. In a, in a week because of nothing that I did because of like the market, like I can see where a guy w- and an agent like would advise him to just take the certainty rather than yeah. rolling the dice at whatever was going to happen this week. Well, and you know, like to put names to this, like an Aaron Jones, that's yeah. a great situation for him in Green mm-hmm. Bay. No question. Uh, a, you know how they're going to use you. They use you well. It shows off your skills. There's not a ton of tread on the tire or is that backwards? I always mess up the tread. Is there <laughs> We're supposed doing to be tread? Is there not here? tread? Anyway, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, the way that they use him is going to probably lead to a longer yeah. career for him and more opportunity to make money down the road. And you play for a contender, you know, Milano and Buffalo. Yep. You're on a contender. So there's the certainty of and the familiarity of knowing where you're going to go to work. You know, you like your coaches. If yeah. the case is that you like your coaches and why give all of that up for the chance to make a little bit more money in a year where there isn't going to be a lot more money out there. So. Yeah. And you look like Matt Milano is a great example. He's been hurt a bunch. You know what I mean? Like, and like, of course you're going to think about that. Like, that's just human nature. It's like, you know, Matt Milano, I believe was a fifth round pick. And so he's probably made, like, I don't know, like two or 3 million. Like, and, and now all of a sudden your team's like saying like, all right, we'll guarantee you 20, you know, if you sign this. Like I, 
be hard to walk away from. And I think that's a big part of all of these. You know what I mean? Like I've always like, I, you know, a couple of smart teams have always said, uh, have, have said to me in the past, I, and I always thought this was so interesting. It's our job to find what they can't say no to. Mm. It's our job to figure out what they can't say no to. And everyone has a price point and it's different for different players. But the Cowboys, for example, it was their job to figure out what Dak Prescott would not say no to. Right. And so like, you can talk about leverage, you can talk, but everyone has that price somewhere. Everyone has that. Like, like if you were in one of these negotiations, that's the way you would be thinking too. Like in the back of your head, it'd be like, all right, like if they go here, I'm going to have a, like we've, you and I have both been in contract negotiations, right? Like For whatever it even is, if your priority is that you want to stay put because your kids are in school. And right. so really, like, there's some benefit there. So here's here's what I can't say no to. And it might be lower right. than it might be for a different team for a variety of and reasons. And then the market conditions, of course, like that's going to affect that, too. What you're what what the what the what, what you cannot say no to is going to be affected by that. No question. Yeah. OK, so. The quarterbacks. Yep. And I know it's not a big free agency class for quarterbacks, right? But you're looking at Fitzpatrick and you're looking at, you know, Jameis Winston, mm-hmm. who could be starters for somebody next yeah. year, obviously, in a very, very quarterback needy offseason, it yeah. feels like, for a ton of different teams. Are we going to be waiting for a while, do you think? And as soon as I put this yeah. on tape, uh, all of the quarterbacks <laughs> are going to sign. It's going to be outdated. But yeah, I think um, so. Like Jameis, to me, like it, it just makes the most sense for him to go back to New Orleans. He'll have a shot to start there. I think playing for, I mean, ask Teddy Bridgewater about the benefit. I mean, he signs a three-year, $63 million deal with the Carolina after he plays for Sean Payton for two years. You know, I, I think having the chance to not just learn from Sean Payton, but now, like, the chance to actually get on the field. Like, if Jameis Winston, like, wants to play the long game here and, like, I want to get back to the level where I can be a 30 or $40 million quarterback, I don't think there's any question the best place to do it is New Orleans. So if I'm him... I'm trying to get everything that I can. I'm trying to do well financially, but I would very much be focused on New Orleans. And I think he'll wind up back there. You know, and then I think like a Fitzpatrick, it's if I had to guess right now, I'd say Washington. That would be my guess. Mm. Um, but I think he kind of is an intriguing op- option for a team like that. That's where you know, even like a New England to come in and compete with Cam, like where like, like and I, I, I bring this up again, like you buy yourself time to take your big swing on one. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you just, all right, if this guy comes in here for a couple of years, we're just fine with him as our quarterback. We can compete with him. We can continue to build around him. And then we can sort of pick our spot where we want to go in and, and, and get our long-term answer. It's sort of like, you know, I, I made this analogy when I was talking about this with Derek Carr and, and, and with the Raiders. And I really think it like kind of works um, and I'm probably screwed this analogy up too, but um, we're like nailing I, the an- analogy. Yeah, but, but when me and my but when, we, when when me and my wife were looking at buying our house, buying a house, we were on a month to month lease, and um, you know we were living in the city, and like I recognized while we were in that spot what an enormous advantage it was because we didn't we were under no urgency to do anything. And we could just kind of peruse the market and keep looking and keep looking and keep looking mm-hmm. and never. Totally. And then, and, and then whenever we wanted to go, we could go. Right. And I sort of feel like that's where like the Raiders have been with Derek Carr. That's where like the chiefs were for all those years with Alex Smith. 
where having a guy like that can help you, can like put you in a position where you can peruse the market. Mm-hmm. Like the Chiefs are a great example because in 2013, like a lot of people wanted them. Andy Reid just got there. A lot of people wanted them to draft a quarterback, right? Think about this. If they had drafted one, you know who was in that draft class in 2013? It was EJ Manuel, Geno Smith, Matt Barkley. I mean, it was. So if they had like decided we are taking one this year, yeah. they would have wound up with one of those. desperate and it has to happen. And any one of these, whoever falls. Yeah, right. exactly. But instead they went and got their month to month lease, which was yes. an older Alex Smith. And they competed with him and they kept mm-hmm. looking and they kept looking and we're not going to overreach and we're not going to go for something that we just think is okay. We're going to wait until we find something special and look what happened. Right. So like, I think the idea of like a Washington bringing in a Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody like that would be, we're going to tread water at the position and be good enough at the position until we're really ready to dive in on someone. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense there. I could see. Even that was like a long, a, even, that was a long drawn Houston. out analogy. <laughs> yeah. No, it worked for me. It really drove that point home. Yeah. I understand the whole uh, shopping for a house, uh, but you know, yeah. not needing something desperately. Um, I feel like even Houston potentially, you know, that might be a place if yeah. they end up dealing a Deshaun Watson and then they go use that draft pick to draft somebody, you know, bring yeah. in like a Ryan Fitzpatrick or somebody like that that can be the stopgap, just like he was in Miami this past yeah. season. As for the Saints, it's interesting about Jameis because I heard them talking on NFL Network earlier today about just, you know, getting better coaching or whatever in New Orleans. And Brian Billick was like, well, I think that Bruce Arians would take offense to that and probably think he got some good coaching in Tampa Bay. But I think it's yeah. it's not better coaching. It's different coaching because Bruce Arians is a you and I both know it's like he's no risk it, no biscuit. That yeah. is Jameis Winston. But then if you don't like the fact that he turns the ball over so frequently, well, that's the worst possible offense for him to be in because you're not prioritizing protecting the ball. You're yeah. prioritizing like take the shot, you know? Yeah. And so I feel like that might be the way that he's different in New Orleans is if you put him with Sean Payton, you put him with somebody Structure. who is going to just drill that down. Right. Like this is our priority. It's all about the ball. Do not turn it over. And that's the message that he gets rather than like, go for it. Swing that's a for really the fences. good. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. So thank you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he came from, I mean, like the program he played in in college, Florida State, played for Jimbo Fisher, who's a Nick Saban guy. It's very structured, very much like process over result, like all of that stuff. And he played really well his first year. And then, you know, his second year was still really good, but threw a lot of picks. And then he goes into the pros. And it's a little looser, you know what I mean? Like playing for Bruce. And so I think sort of some of the results there played out. And I think going back to a place that has some structure and he played for Lovey and he played for Dirk Cutter too, but I don't know that he ever had maybe the same level of structure that he had had in college. And you're right. Like maybe like going to play for Sean Payton and putting and, and, and having him in that like structured environment I mean, maybe it has helped him, you know, and, and there's no question. I mean, there's a reason why he went first overall. Like that didn't happen yeah. by accident, you know, and when he was coming out, like it's not like there was this huge question. It was like, no, this guy's worthy of being the first overall pick. This is this is what the first overall pick is supposed to look like. And so um, I'm fascinated to see whether or not Sean Payton can get that out of him because he's gotten so much out of I like I mean, you know, people forget what Drew Brees was. People forget yeah. that, you know, like like that Sean had a huge hand in developing Tony Romo before he left Dallas. Like Sean has 
like gotten the most out of most quarterbacks that he's worked with. And I think having the chance to get a second year with Sean Payton, if I was Jameis Winston, would be enormously it'd be enormously tempting to to go back almost regardless of the financial circumstances, knowing that if I'm ever going to get back to the point where I'm going to be the kind of quarterback somebody's willing to spend twenty or thirty million dollars on, mm-hmm. like this is going to give me the best shot to do that. Well, that segues us perfectly to my next guest, who is Catherine Terrell from the Athletic. We're going to talk a go. lot about the Saints and do a deep dive on that situation. So, thanks for that, Albert Breer, and you thank got, you so make much sure for making. Make sure to say hi to Cat for me too. She's the best. She, she, she's awesome, and you're awesome too. I really appreciate this. I know I said like uh, um, a lot less time. Then, then oh, I it's all from good. You. It's all good. And it's, been, it's been way too long, too. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how many people remember our segments and all of that. So, yeah, this used way to be for everybody the out there listening. This used to be like a three or a four night a week thing. So I'm glad we could oh, reconnect. And now it's been so many years since then. So it's good connecting with you again. Awesome. You're doing thanks, awesome. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate it. Big week for the Saints. Drew Brees announcing his retirement on Sunday, 15 years to the day after he first signed with the Saints, a signing that would end up changing a lot of lives, lead to a lot of broken records. Ultimately, in five years' time, will also lead to a Saints quarterback uh, being inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the first time ever. Um, though technically I know Ken Stabler is in and he played for the Saints. He's a Raider. You don't get to claim him. You will get Drew Brees. Congratulations. So here to discuss uh, what this means for New Orleans moving forward, because the plan moving forward, I am fully intrigued about they're in salary cap hell. They don't have a draft pick until late in the first round. So how do we rebuild in the post-Drew Brees era we're going to discuss all of that with Catherine Terrell from The Athletic. Welcome, Catherine. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, pretty slow week, huh? Nothing's happened at all. Yeah, nothing going on. Just, you know, everything. How are people responding to this in New Orleans? It feels like we've kind of known it was yeah. coming, so it's just a formality, but I'm sure there's still a lot of emotional people there that the end is here. Yeah, it's one of those things where it got to the point where we're just saying, Drew, uh, when are you going to retire? Because he redid his contract weeks ago to basically take it all the way down to the league minimum, which was a pretty good sign he was retiring because we'd never see that money. But I guess there's thoughts in the back of people's heads. Wait, is he going to pull a breath arm and, and change his mind? But, you know, ultimately he didn't. And I think if you were on social media the day of his retirement, it was just so many people so grateful for all the things he did for New Orleans. I think that as a quarterback, people people are ready to move on from him as a quarterback because, you know, if he comes back next year or came back, no guarantee that it's going to look like it did the first time again, the second time against the Bucks, It might look more like it did the last time. But, you know, when you look back at his career, people are just um, really emotional and um, grateful for what he did for the city. Yeah, I- I mean, we'll all remember that moment on the field after the last game in the playoffs when they were eliminated with him and uh, his kids and his wife, Brittany, and uh, Tom Brady, as the case may be, uh, sharing that moment on the field. Um, But yeah, it, it does, from a purely football standpoint, it doesn't necessarily feel like bad timing for the Saints. It's a bummer they weren't able to, like, get it done in that year where it was go for it before it all falls apart. But he clearly was not himself, you know, this past season, um, didn't have the arm strength to really push the ball downfield and 
So it, it might be in the best interest of the Saints from a quarterbacking position um, standpoint moving forward to put somebody else back there. But now, of course, they have to make that decision about who that person's going to be uh, without much money and without a great draft situation, you know, to go get the quarterback that's going to be that franchise guy. They restructured Taysom's deal. So that leads to a lot of speculation there. What's your understanding with regard to what that new contract for Taysom actually means with regard to the quarterback position and his standing? I don't really think it means much. I mean, it did cause a stir when it was thrown out there in the middle of Drew Brees mania and uh, the initial numbers made it sound like he was getting a huge extension. But really what they're doing is uh, some good old Saints cap maneuvering to get uh, them under the cap, which uh, they're still working to do. Um, but I think what it does, and it's actually smart because at this point, no one knows still if Taysom is a quarterback of the future or if he should be paid as a different position. So before he restructured, he has $16 million cap hit. And if you're a quarterback, that's cheap. Like, that's a great deal. But I don't think that that's the case now. Last last year when it kind of looks like Brees was going to retire, every sign indicated he had maybe one more year. All of the talk was about Taysom, and Taysom was the next quarterback, and, you know, Taysom this, Taysom that. And it's the opposite now. Now all the talk is about James Winston, which is kind of intriguing because I actually thought when, at training camp that James Winston performed uh, outperformed Taysom Hill. And Hill ended up being the backup because Sean Payton made him a promise when he re-signed that he was going to get that chance. But I'm intrigued to see what if they re-signed. Wait, what do you tell, – tell me more about that. What do you mean he made him a promise? So I didn't know this at training camp, but I was actually second-guessing myself. Like, did I not understand what I saw? I thought James Winston had the better camp, which you know, there's other factors in just what we get to see. But a few months afterwards, Taysom had been named the second quarterback on the depth chart. Winston was the third. So it comes time for them to pick a starter after Breeze is out, and they go with Taysom. And Sean Payton told the media, when he signed that new contract last year, I made him a promise that he would get that opportunity to fill in for Drew Breeze if something happened. He would get the opportunity to be a backup. And they kind of had to see what they had of him. It's why they signed a two-year deal and not something longer because they could get out of it if it didn't work. So if he had gone this whole season and never played quarterback extensively, we'd be asking so many questions right now. But I do find that interesting because I don't think that promise holds this year. I think if Taysom Hill and James Winston both come back, it's a true competition made the best man win. Well, and it's kind of a different situation, I suppose, right? If you're throwing a quarterback in in the middle of the season sure. to take over for an injured Drew Brees, and it's a short-term situation, and you don't necessarily want to build an offense around it and all that kind of stuff, whereas this year you're going into a season with a plan to have one specific quarterback be your guy in a perfect world, and you're building an offense around one of those two guys. So I could see how Taysom might be a good fit in one scenario, but maybe less so in this current scenario. Right, and maybe that's why uh, everyone's kind of given up on Taysom and moved Jameis Winston. And of course, uh, I'll change my mind about the competition thing if somehow the Saints re-sign him to a deal with much bigger numbers than we anticipate. They always seem to surprise us. But, yeah, I mean, the offense was tailored to Drew Brees. Drew Brees and Taysom Hill are very, very different quarterbacks. 
I mean, you can kind of see that uh, actually in Alvin Kamara's usage. Uh, when Taysom Hill was uh, the quarterback, Kamara's use as a receiver yeah. dropped like exponentially. And it's just because, you know, you kind of have Breeze who doesn't move much in the pocket. He's not going to push the ball downfield much anymore. Taysom can uh, take off and run. Taysom can push the ball downfield, all of those things. So you're basically working within the confines of what you got in the span of what they had. They had a week to, to figure this out. And, you know, Sean Payton's used to this. Uh, he had to do with Teddy Bridgewater the year before, but Teddy Bridgewater is more like Breeze than, than Taysom is. So yeah, I'm kind of fascinated to see if they take this opportunity to revamp the entire offense around either Taysom Hill or, or Jameis Winston. We haven't seen this in 15 years. It's, it's kind of exciting. What was your your sense from being around the team of how Sean Payton and the coaching staff and maybe Mickey Loomis, how they felt about Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston at the end of the season? Did you get the sense that they um, felt optimistic that Jameis could be more than he was in Tampa Bay moving forward for them? Um, did they like what they saw from Taysom? Like, what's your sense of where they stand? It definitely seems like it was kind of pointing more towards Winston, but maybe that's just a product of circumstance. Everyone always loves the backup quarterback. Winston came in uh, the playoff game uh, on this trick play. I think it scored a touchdown. It's funny how now, I remember it was a great play, but I'm thinking, like, did it score? It all blurs together now. Uh, but I think it's because I personally, people are always saying, oh, well, you know, you're the cynical one or you know, you're very blunt. And I didn't think that Taysom looked great as a quarterback. To me, he did not do anything to solidify the fact that he should be the quarterback of the future. I mean, I'll throw out the Broncos game. That's not really fair to him. That was an extraordinary circumstance. Right. But the other games, I, to me, he just didn't prove it. And I know Winston has had a long time to prove himself. And you know, he's coming in with a lot of questions. But that's why I want to see an open competition. But, I mean, again it probably all depends on the money, you know, it's, it's like, how much does it take to retain James Winston? And if, can they afford him? And if they have to pay him more than they would like, well then does that mean they want him to be the quarterback because they're paying him that much? So I don't know. It's interesting. It's just interesting how the tide has turned in the span of a year. And maybe that's more from the fan base uh, than the coaching staff, but it kind of feels like both. Do you think that Jameis, Jameis would need to get a deal at least on par with Taysom's, right? Uh, probably. I mean, it's... Like, that would be weird if you're like, hey, we want you to come <laughs> be our starter, but also here's less money than we're giving Taysom Hill. Well, I think... I'm sure the money is a big factor. It always is. But I think he would probably just want true assurances that if he comes to camp, he's going to get the opportunity to, to start. And it makes me wonder, kind of the question of the, the year... How much did he know when he signed with the Saints that mm. he wasn't going to be the backup? I mean, he he signed a, a minimum deal. So it's not – I mean, I'm sure that there weren't a lot of opportunities, but I'm sure there are a few when he kind of did what Teddy Bridgewater did and resigned – I say resigned – signed with the Saints even though maybe there's a bigger opportunity elsewhere. Uh, I don't think John Payton led him astray. I'm pretty sure they were on the same page. But it is interesting just, uh, you know – did, did he know the, all the circumstances going in? Did he think it was an open competition? That there was a promise made to someone yeah, else. It's, yeah, it's fascinating to me. And uh, I guess we'll find out uh, if and when he resigns, I mean, say in the next two days. But 
Yeah. Are you convinced that it'll be one of those two guys? Is that what makes the most sense to you there in New Orleans? Or do you think that there's an outside shot that they go get a different bridge quarterback or that they try and move up in the draft? That doesn't make sense to me just because of the number of holes that they have essentially had to create in the last couple of weeks because of um, cap casualties. I feel like they, they could use some of those draft picks to actually fill some of those needs. But um, what's your expectation with regard to the quarterback position? I do think it's most likely that it's going to be one of them. Even if they don't sign Winston, then maybe Taysom becomes the bridge quarterback or, you know, goes out and proves himself over the course of a year. I don't know. But I find it highly unrealistic that they would be able to get a decent veteran quarterback in considering how much they cost if they're any good. And that's for the draft. It's just what you said maybe a week ago, but now wide receiver is a top need. Cornerback uh, is a top need. They don't have a starter. One of their backups might be a cap casualty, and another backup is a free agent, and none of those backups are backups you want to see starting. So that's a big need, and they only have – they don't have many draft picks. And there's even, you know, the possibility that they have left they have less draft picks if they get punished for the Alvin Kamara um, COVID incident at the end of the season, which, you know, the NFL kind of lets that hang over their heads for a while. So that, I mean, we won't know that for a long time, but it makes it very hard. You're already thinking in towards the end of the first round to get a quarterback. So it's possible, but um, I think it's going to be tricky. Recap for us. Um, some of the moves that they've made in the weeks leading up to free agency, there are some big names that are no longer there, Quan Alexander and Janoris Jenkins and some people that have been cut. Um, what do you think in terms of the people who are gone and the holes that they created that were maybe um, shored up last year that now they need to address this offseason? Yeah, I think Emmanuel Sanders is probably the biggest one. Sanders actually led the team or led the receivers uh, receiving yards with Michael Thomas hurt last year. And he was actually a big part of the offense. He had five touchdowns. And Jared Cook, who's also been released, uh, had seven touchdowns. So that's a big part of the offense that's gone. And I know that Jared Cook didn't play as well as he had in the past. But still, I mean, so you have two pieces of your offense gone. And then Janoris Jenkins, who started, I believe it was 13 or 14 games. He was the full-time starter last year. He's gone. Uh, as you mentioned, Quan Alexander, and then potentially Malcolm Brown, uh, who has been thrown out there as a cap casualty that doesn't happen yet. And then everyone expects Sheldon Rankins to move on in free agency. So you got holes on the interior, the defensive line. You got a hole at cornerback. You have a hole at wide receiver. You have a hole at tight end because Adam Troutman is really only their He's the only known tight end out of the three. And then kind of got a whole linebacker. It's not as big of a deal because the Saints are almost primarily in nickel. But Alex Antoloni is going to be a free agent and Quan's not there. So it, it's kind of a, a need unless they feel like their draft picks out. Zach Quan from last year can step up. So um, it's quite a, I don't want to say a mess. It's not. It's probably not as bad as it sounds, but when you put it that way, it makes it seem like the Saints are not going to be as good this year. Just on the surface, who knows what they'll do to fix it. Are they, in your opinion, going to go through a rebuilding year this year? 
sort of see I don't like to say that because I do feel like there are a lot of really great pieces still on this team but you don't know who the quarterback is going to be that always throws everything into chaos especially if it's one of two quarterbacks who both have a lot of question marks so I combine that with the fact that they have to go find a starting cornerback and fix the wide receiver position which, without any yeah. money. And it, the wide, wide receiver might be okay, but then you're depending on Michael Thomas to be healthy. And I know that he hasn't had a long history of injury problems, but still you saw the drop off once he got hurt. Uh, so it's maybe not rebuilding. I think that they have a chance to contend this year. But it's hard to see them getting all the way to a Super Bowl when they are right now a lot less talented than they were last year, and they couldn't get there. So you just rattled off a ton of holes, right? Or at least positions that need uh, addressing. I'm making it sound like that, right? Well, but to a degree, this is what I find fascinating about it because Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis, I think everybody in the NFL world is like, well, if anybody can fix it or work with it, it's these two guys, right? Just because they have such a strong track record. But it also feels like maybe the can has been kicked down the road so many times that this might just be the year where there's no money available and all of a sudden all of these holes pop up. And I, I, what I find fascinating is like, how will they fill them? So if you say, okay, they're really good at scouting and, and um, identifying talent in the draft, which they have been, then you can plug some of those holes that way. But, I mean, you'd figure some of these moves have to be made in free agency. What do you, how do you think that they will prioritize which one to do where? You know, where do you see them uh, drafting? And then what positions do you see them possibly trying to, because of a saturated market, because of the low cap, going and trying to fill some of these holes in free agency with what little money they can Scrounge yeah. up. Well, I have to add, uh, Chase fans are going to hate me saying this, but um, the situation is going to probably be even worse next year. It is uh, It is not uh, something they're going to be able to dig out of quickly unless those TV deals exponentially raise the cap. Uh, and I say, that, yeah, I say that because uh, they restructured a lot of players that are kind of maybe on the line of decline if they want to get if they want to cut them next year, it's going to cost, it's going to cost a lot of money. So it's kind of like they're gambling, just like they were last year when they signed a lot of older players like Sanders, like Janoris Jenkins, like Malcolm Jenkins. Um, So yeah, sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but um, it's just something that's going to be talked about a lot over the last next year. As for what they'll look for, I think uh, it kind of seems like the wide receiver market is probably going to have a, a bunch of players available. They have historically struck out uh, finding cornerbacks in free agency. That seems more like something they would try to draft. And on the opposite side, they have historically struck out finding linebackers in the draft. So I could see them maybe trying to find a middle-tier linebacker in free agency. If they have any money, they can scrounge up. Um, Maybe a wide receiver in the the second wave. A tight end is, is interesting because because I think that they probably like to add a veteran tight end, similar to Jared Cook next to Adam Troutman, who's going into his second year. But, um, yeah, those are the ones that come to mind, because I would assume that defensive line, they're just going to try to fill from within. They have some young, uh, undrafted players that kind of showed some promise. So, yeah, a lot of work to be done. 
Their defense has been a strength, right? Last year, it was obviously their strength. Um, do you expect that to still be the case next year? I think so. I think, as I just mentioned, they're going to have to hope that Malcolm Jenkins doesn't decline um, now that he's kind of in his mid-30s. He's actually the last remaining player from the Saints Super Bowl win. If they keep Marcus Williams, which they tag them, so I assume they're going to find a way to work that out. They still have Marshawn Lattimore. So when you look at the defense, it's not like a – it's not worst-case scenario, but they do have some some holes to fill. But I could still see that defense being good if they find a good cornerback. They've just had over the years – I've covered the team a long time – They've been so hit or miss with their cornerbacks and their secondary. So they got to find a good one next to Lattimore or that that's going to be their Achilles heel. Okay. So draft. I, I really think they, uh, uh, I can th- see them going that way. Their first pick is 27. Do you see them going in that direction there? Do you see them trading back and trying to maybe, you know, there's always those those late day one picks. There's always a market for that. Um, people who want to, like, move up and, and grab that guy because they're afraid they won't be there on day two. Um, do they trade back and, and stockpile a few more picks or do you think that they stay put at 27? And do you think it depends? What do you what's your expectation? I think the Saints are kind of allergic to trading back. They, they kind of hate doing it. They, they trade up when I don't know how they have any more picks left. Uh, I would I would say the most likely scenario this year without a lot of picks is that they probably sit tight, but it, it'll just probably depend on how it falls. What I would be intrigued about is if a quarterback they like somehow is sitting there at the end of the first round. And then what do you do? Do you go for that? Or do you say, hey, we still maybe can try to win now. and We need a corner or we need a wide receiver or, or whatever. I mean, it's probably not going to happen. It'll probably just, you know, be corner or receiver or, or something something boring. But it would be interesting if they uh, took the quarterback first round. Do you think that this is something that Sean Payton is excited about? trying to figure out this new puzzle and how to do it without Drew Brees and with all of the cap stuff and whatever. Is this something that he like gets up for? Or do you think that he's sitting at home like, oh crap, (laughs) how did I end up in this situation? No, I think he lives for this stuff. Like there's like a famous Peyton saying, crisis or carnival. He loves, he loves it when he has a problem to solve or, there's something going on with the team and he wants to rally them together this way. And honestly, I mean, he and Brees worked together so long. They're a well-oiled machine. They could probably finish each other's sentences. But after you've done that a long time, I think there's probably a part of you that is looking for what's the next challenge? How can I, what's new, I guess. And not to say that he was, you know, saying, you know, Brees needs to go away or anything, but I think it's kind of, there's a part of him that's probably thinking, I mean, this is kind of fun. Like I've got this chance to, to redesign this team around whatever quarterback I end up getting. And I don't know. I, I think that he lives for this stuff. I think he's, it's probably going to reinvigorate him a little bit, especially, you know, if you're talking about new players, like it's just, it's just so different than when you have a quarterback that 
is so smart that, you know, he runs a two minute offense himself. Now it's kind of more, all right, I got to be more of a teacher to these younger guys. It's, it's interesting. Well, at least Drew Brees isn't going to, you know, Tampa Bay or something like that and making a run with a different team, which uh, obviously puts him in a different position as a coach um, competing from a legacy standpoint. But Drew Brees will be going to the broadcast booth uh, for NBC. How do you how do you think he'll do as a broadcaster? I actually think he's going to do really well. I mean, he is the most amazing recall of anyone I've ever met in my entire life. This guy can remember plays from high school. Like I, I could mention a game in the middle of his junior season of high school, and he would he could rattle off stuff to me. And I think that he's going to have a lot of good stories and things like that for TV. And also, I mean, he he's the kind of guy that diagnoses plays like lightning fast. So it kind of makes me wonder: is he going to be like Tony Roma? I don't know. He's very media savvy. He's been in front of the camera forever, so I, I think he's going to do a good job. But, you know, we'll see. It's it's a different world. And sometimes people get in front of the camera and the broadcast booth and they just kind of lose all their charisma. But I could see him doing a good job. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting transition because you spend so many years being sort of defensive of the information right. that you have. Like everything's a secret. I'm not I'm not going to tell you anything because I have to keep it close to the vest because those that's the edge that I have or my team has or something like that. So how quickly he'll be able to just let go of all of that and unload all of his knowledge into a broadcast, I think will be key there. And whether or not he's willing to kind of keep it real to a degree, yeah, you, know, you don't have to be yeah. hypercritical of your colleagues. It doesn't have to be mean spirited or anything like that, but you have to be able to, I think whether you can find kind of that, that happy medium where he's telling the truth <laughs> in a way that maybe doesn't feel like he's, Stepping on any toes. That's also a tough balance for people yeah. transitioning into broadcasting. Well, Catherine, I'm very, uh, very excited to see what what comes out of all of this in Me New Orleans too. in the next few months. So thank you so much for joining us uh, with this preview. Thanks for having me. I can't wait to see what happens in the next few months. All right. Well, I'm going to go read the 800 tweets I missed while taping this. Does that stress anyone else out being behind on the scrolling on Twitter? Only on days like this for me, where there's so much news and then news about the news. And I don't want to miss any of the gold. I have Twitter FOMO, but only when it comes to football news. Anyway, I'll work through this offline. (laughs) Nice little therapy session with somebody. And I'll meet you back here Friday morning with a brand new NFL Roadshow. Have a great week. I hope your team gets better. 